Hey everyone, welcome to Fool's Gold Variety Hour. My name is Tom. And I'm Zach. And we are the hosts of this here podcast. Now, in the past, we have done uh, what the kids call an evergreen episode. You may remember it. Some of you have even said it's the best episode we ever did. It was called In Case of Emergency, Break Glass. And but this is another one of those. So we don't know when you're going to be listening to this, but it sure is all heck ain't going to be um, ain't going to be the week where we recorded it. Going to try uh, to keep current event talk to a minimum. Going to try to uh, not talk about any specific, uh, specifically prevalent pop culture uh, items. They might come up, but we're we're not gonna we're not gonna try to focus on them so much. And they're not gonna uh, be like locked into it this time. Yeah, except for this part right now, in which I mentioned that the holiday season at time of recording is just about to be upon us, and I'm enjoying a glass of crisp, delicious Martinelli sparkling apple cider. Uh, Martinelli's would welcome your sponsorship on this show. And I'm drinking Arnold Palmer by Arizona. Um, not the state Arizona, the company. Hiding the brand name of what he's drinking is our secret guest who will be revealed later. So don't say a word, secret guest. Don't do it. Anyways, point is, um, we're not going to talk about anything locked into the pop culture other than, of course, Zach's holiday beverage. And the fact that President Joseph R. Biden, who is president at time of recording, delayed student loan repayments again. Yes, he did. Uh, this is maybe the most recent thing we could talk about, Tom, even on a normal I know, but it's big news for your boy. It is also big news for me. Um, well, it's just that he's been sued like four different people, and most of the lawsuits, four different groups, four different parties, um, and most of those lawsuits have been uh, like dismissed, but a couple of them have been have gone before some not necessarily nonpartisan judges and uh, and some injunctions have been set uh, and appeals are in order. Who knows how it's going to turn out? I sure don't. Um, All I know is I don't have to pay loans and I don't accrue interest for six more months. And, and thank thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. That means I can pay my loans off faster because the interest rate doesn't. It, it's just it's a good time to have debt. <laughs> if I you're going to have debt, now is the time. I raise my Martinelli's to you, Joe. And it is for that reason we have brought on an economist. A, a hero of the financial world. Somebody who can really weigh in and let us know what's what. You know him from a previous episode, The Halloween Spooktacular. It's Michael Gall. Welcome, Michael. Yeah. Michael, how are you doing? How are you doing today? Oh, uh, you know, we're we're doing pretty good. Wow, we're living the dream. It's another day in paradise. Um, another day, another dollar. Um, all the all the platitudes. Michael, what are you drinking? I'm drinking a nondescript beverage out of a silver can. Is it a diet coke? Is it alcoholic? Is it canned water? I don't know. Is it LaCroix? No, it's a it's a solid gray can. It might be 
a Diet Coke. I'm trying to remember. I lived with Michael for a few months. I cannot place anything specifically that I know he favored as a beverage. You also lived with me on a dry campus, so. <laughs> this is true. Is it I remember Michael specifically drinking an irregular amount of Cherry Pepsi. Cherry Pepsi does not. I also remember myself drinking an irregular amount of all sorts of sugary drinks. Somehow I didn't suffer as much for it as I should have yet. Yeah, it'll it'll catch up, I'm sure. Um, Oh, yeah. My tickets. We were we were on a a dry campus, Michael. Um, It could be I'm going to say Diet Coke. Do you do you intend to reveal the the identity of your beverage on on Mike? Uh, I suppose I can. Uh, I'll save it till the end because that's just going to be a really a really um pertinent like long lasted reveal no it's a little bit of the old uh little samier they had a, okay. a winter okay. beverage pack over in the at the uh, liqueur store so nice. i thought nice. hey i like good, seasonal good. gimmicks some of that boston yeah. brew um yeah all american i i also don't i'm not i'm not adverse to not averse to some seasonal uh beers and ales on a on occasion yeah uh, Oktoberfest stuff is usually pretty good in my opinion so here's here's really the question and we're going to circle back to some economics questions for oh, we are for our expert <laughs> um uh the question really i have for both of you is simply um speaking of adult substances breaking bad it's a phenomenal show. One of my favorites. I enjoy it a lot. Um, I would like you both to weigh in on if you prefer Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad. I have said on Mike on this show before that the combination of those two shows plus El Camino are probably um, cumulatively my favorite TV thing ever. I will I I don't know if I could pick between them but I could say what I like about each that the other might not have. Go ahead. So, I think Breaking Bad has a a like a a fantastic like easy concept to understand and narratively keeps a solid momentum going the entire show. Better call Saul is a bit more complex, but it, I believe, has better characters. The overall production quality of the show is better. And, um, I, I, yeah, that's, that's what I think I would say. So, narrative-wise, Breaking Bad, character and production, better call Saul. Michael, thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I think I'd agree with a lot of it. I mean... I think uh, Breaking Bad really came around in a in a really good zeitgeist, and I think the I yeah I very much agree. The premise is just an easier track to follow in the first place, and it's probably um, well, especially because uh, Breaking Bad being uh, the prequel series or follow up series that it is, uh, really kind of makes it uh, require Breaking Bad for viewing. So just being able to hop into uh, Breaking Bad and experience a pretty straightforward story about the, uh, the wonders of the for-profit healthcare system is, uh, pretty relatable. And then, uh, yeah, they just, uh, really became masters of their craft with, uh, Better Call Saul, I think. So 
I think personally, I like Better Call Saul better, but you just can't discount anything that Breaking Bad did for it as a whole. I agree. I think that I enjoy Better Call Saul better. I think I think the only thing I think Breaking Bad has a better Breaking Bad has a more satisfying finale. Sure. Than Better Call Saul. Yeah. But other than that, yeah. I think Better Call Saul is is a better made show and is is just more enjoyable for me. But but like like Michael was saying, I think much of my enjoyment is rooted in Breaking Bad. But but yeah, I think I enjoy the act of watching Better Call Saul better. On um, on a different, a completely different note, um, I was I was on the old the old TikTok. Okay. Sure. And I stumbled across somebody's um, ranking of the fifteen. That's one five. Fifteen most significant people in human history. And this was their eighth draft with the subject, what would you change? So then obviously I went to the user page and found the most recent draft, of which I had not stumbled across. And I would, I'm going to read you the 15 most significant people in human history as described by a TikToker with millions of followers who's been amending the list. Are you going to give us like time to respond between each one? Yes. Okay. I just want you to say if you can see it, if you would agree. Again, this is in human history. So we're going back thousands of years conservatively. Um, top 15. All right. Number 15. Steve Jobs. That makes sense. I I would have Steve Jobs on my list. I don't know where on my list I'd put him. It would be hard for me to rank any people on this on on a list like this. Um but I think Steve Jobs makes sense. I think at least in recent history the the portability of of like interconnected technology starting with starting with personal PCs and then into like portable PCs and then into like the smartphone, I think has been, has, has contributed to both some of the best and worst aspects of society as it, as it currently is. Michael, would you agree that he's in the top 15 most significant people in human history? Well, it's just when you like qualify it within human history, it becomes a little more dubious to me, but like, it's not a long shot. It's feasible. Okay. Number 14. Leonardo da Vinci. I don't know. I don't know. So you're you're more. I guess it might just be because Steve Jobs has a more tan has like a more tangible and noticeable effect on my life as I'm currently sure. perceiving it because I'm recording this on an Apple device. But I was just like I I know who Leonardo da Vinci is. I have a I know his work. I I get like his his place in history and what he did. I don't like influence wise like tracking his influence is is a bit tougher for me and it might just be like the recency bias that i just talked about in which steve jobs is a bit more clear in my head just because i'm i'm affected a little bit more by him 
his work than I am right right now than I am Da Vinci. Yeah. Like Da Vinci's a great humanist and I suppose like in terms of art and a couple of other things maybe a little bit of medicine. I'm not sure how involved he was in all of that. He he was a a Vitruvian man as he coined it so to speak. So I mean he was a very impressive person I suppose, but if you were to say like Leonardo Di uh, DiCaprio, Leonardo da Vinci compared to someone like Michelangelo. I mean, I, I guess they're both very prominent figures, but I don't know how much they shape up in the grand scheme of human existence. Sure. And like maybe 600 years from now, Steve Jobs will mean absolutely nothing. So who knows? Yeah, it's totally possible. Number 13, Napoleon Bonaparte. Hmm. Hmm. See, this is a different type of person. Oh, yes. Because we have we have the artist engineer of Da Vinci. We have the the entrepreneur slash computer person of jobs. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting into like warfare and geopolitics. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Napoleon I don't know. If you think of sort of the significance of the French Revolution on human thought and the just prominence of, I don't know, like Napoleon is at the center of one of the most prominent decades in at least geopolitical civilization history it to some extent does that make sense that said napoleon also an extremely big effect on my current situation because i might have my history wrong pretty sure he was the 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 selling party as in regards to the uh louisiana purchase which covers the geographical area in which i currently exist so I'm sure that has something to do with it. I realize I'm basing a lot of my perception on human history just so about my current human present. And I don't know if that's just the nature of history or if I'm like narcissistic or what, but that's kind of... I mean, the, just the notion, like just the notion that, and correct me if my history is wrong because... uh it it often is given my upbringing um no, like the notion of there should not be a monarchy and there should not be sort of a ruling class and like the notion of democracy in general not a republic like in in Greece but like kind of like democracy ad hoc stemmed again in some ways you have sparta in some ways you have i mean biblical concepts and judges of this notion but like in 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 a way that had staying power french revolution is that is that inaccurate yes i don't know if that had if that was necessarily the french revolution was happening prior to napoleon right at least prior to Napoleon's rise to power. Right. He, 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 like, he supported the French Revolution 
but he also became emperor of France. Right. So I feel like it's it. I, I, don't, I don't know. Oh, I'm not saying that Napoleon's significance in human history is the birth of democracy. I'm no. saying he was a central voice in that in the era that brought about democracy. That might thing. be true. He was among the more prominent figures. Yeah, and I suppose if you look at it from like a Euro-American-centric understanding of history, um, I mean, Napoleon obviously had a pretty lasting impact on Europe and European uh, politics and political alliances that I imagine lasted well into and maybe even through World War One to some degree. And, and, and like Zach was talking about Louisiana Purchase. Yeah, and how the makeup of things is now. Um, Egyptian excavation, uh, a couple other things. Uh, there was the co- the codification of laws under Bonaparte too, I think, was kind of a precedent for how a lot of European law ended up coming about, since a lot of stuff was pretty much, eh, maybe not 100% formal at that point in time, so... Uh, he's pretty important, I suppose. So I, I could see maybe top 15. All right. Coming in at number 12, Genghis Khan. I was going to say, without Genghis Khan on the list, I wouldn't accept Bonaparte as quite as valid, but with Genghis on the list, it makes it a little more valid. I would also agree Genghis is good for this list. Because, like, even if he did absolutely nothing in the world, like almost a fifth of the Asian continent or somewhere in that ballpark. I don't remember the exact of it, but a not insignificant amount of the billions of people living in the Asiatic continent are descended from Genghis Khan. So (laughs) there's just no really shaking that down. Yeah. In the same way that if you're, if you're white and living in Europe or North America, there's like, a 25% chance you're a descendant of Charlemagne. Um, Is that true? 25 seems high. I don't know about that. I, you can Google that. You can fact check me on that, but I'm, I'm feeling decent about that stat. But yes, I know, I know frighteningly little about Genghis Khan. Um, don't really know what he was about other than like the, 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 the little, uh, stat that you provided is really the only thing I know about him. I think I've heard some interesting like tidbits that obviously don't have any bearing on how significant he was as a person. Uh, but one of his more uh, capricious episodes, I suppose, which of which a lot of people in that time period in history had, was there was a village, I guess, that refused to pay him tribute or failed to respect him in some way or another. So I think he ended up undertaking a major earthenworks project to redirect a river to flow through the village and wipe it off the map. Wow. But I think to some degree, like, that kind of speaks to, like, how capable the Mongolians were, especially under Genghis Khan, at both war and, like, scientific or engineering pursuits. So I think it's fair to say they're pretty significant in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. It is It is high. I, I, on the Charlemagne question, it is high. I don't know if it's 25%. Okay. Um, but it, there, like, it is, it is not uncommon to be a descendant of Charlemagne, especially if you have, are of, uh, 
if you are of a European heritage. So. I got around. Uh, also, it was just like a long time and like right. had a few kids and just like compounded. Right. So right. keep going on the list, Tom. This can't be the entire episode. The, yeah, we got to I mean, spe- speed round it. Okay, speed rounds. Uh, 11, Aristotle. Sure. Uh, okay. 10, Charles Darwin. Yeah, maybe. Yes. Nine, Martin Luther King Jr. If only. Yeah, for real. I if if Mandela's on there, I can definitely see it. If Mandela is not, I'd be surprised. Eight. William Shakespeare. Yes. Yeah. Like what? It's the big canons now. Everything comes from the Bible. Uh mythology, particularly Greek mythology and Shakespeare. Those are the big three canons, right? Yeah, and Shakespeare pulled a good a bit, at least for mythology, if not a good bit from the Bible as well. So, oh, well, I mean, definitely many, many I mean, like there's overlap records and stuff. Like here's that. here's where we get to the point. Why here's where we get to the point of why I wanted to do this on the show. Okay, because, it's got to be because, a really controversial one now, right? Because number seven up baffle me. I'm okay. like who. Who are the comments? And I like went through the drafts and I was like, how did this many people convince you? Here we go. Number seven. Where to go? Number seven, Michael Jordan. See, I think this might be recency bias. <laughs> he thing also, is like, even in recent, he's not in the most 15 most influential people on the planet in recent history over the last 40 years. He's probably within the 15 most influential people within the sports world of the yeah. of like human sure. history. George sure. is still probably like top five as far as sports people. But like my problem with it is like sports is such one an evergreen thing in general. And two, like, why is this remarkably talented athlete? any more important than the other remarkably talented athletes that lived throughout all of history. Like, right. we're How not interested like, in Ember or Spartacus or something like that. Or It's that they broadcast his games on TV. But how yeah. did you make a list and be like, Aristotle had less effect on the human population than Michael Jordan? Yeah. It, is, it blows my mind. All right. Number six, Abraham Lincoln. American history, yes. Yeah, sure. that's definitely an American bias. I don't think you can justify that in the scope of human history. Because mm-hmm. by right. that time, like, Abraham Lincoln wasn't even a trendsetter as far as, like, the abolition of slavery and whatnot. I mean, it was very impressive to have a leader manage a civil war so effectively as he did, but, yeah. Mm-hmm. Number five, Muhammad. Yeah, I'd say any any figure of one of the main uh, religions of the world could theoretically you could make a case for them on this list. Yeah, it's basically a non-contest since like so much of the world's yeah like triumphs and tribulations of today can probably be directly attributed to some degree. So yeah, Jesus, Moses, Buddha, Muhammad, yeah. any of them could you could make a decent case for them being here. Correct. I agree. Which is so number four, Siddhartha Gatma. So Buddha. Um, yeah. Tracks. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. Number three is Jesus. Okay. I, I, 
Yeah, it, yeah. It feels like a we little bit of a cop out to like just talk about like all the major religious figures because it's like duh because they have so many practitioners yeah. in the world yeah. and to some degree shaped world philosophy as far as spirituality is concerned. Mm-hmm. Like guys- it's a given to the point where it's like I'd rather see a secularist list about this. Yeah. Right, but I want you guys to guess who the top two are, given the names I've pulled. Is Muhammad Ali one of them? <laughs> no, I okay. I I can't say that I wish, but can you can you give us like a a description of the last two people? Not not like a vague like like this person was a philosopher. This person was a blank. One this of them was a one of them was a conqueror. Don't tell me Hitler was one of them. I mean, it's, it's probably not. true, and I guess I could see it, but that would be unfortunate. A uh, conqueror, not. so you've got Alexander the Great. He is one of them. Okay. I. Well, who's the other here's one? Here's the thing. Here's well, the other one is uh, more in the realm of Da Vinci. He's he, so Alexander the Great was number one. I was surprised Julius Caesar was not on this list, personally. I think that I mean Julius Caesar. A lot of Rome's bigger accomplishments were done post Caesar, um, and kind of off the back of. Alexander the Great, anyway. So, sure. Um, so, Alexander the Great's number one. I can I can understand Alexander the Great being on this list. Number two. If Genghis Khan gets to be on this list, Alexander can be on this list. Number two is Albert Einstein. If you view that in the terms of like nuclear proliferation, I I'd say it's probably a no contest as well, actually. Or just intellectual celebrity, I feel. Yeah, and just intellectual scope, too. Like, I don't know if physics would be as far as it is today without Einstein, so. That's fair. Like, I, was, I was surprised by the placing of Einstein that high. I just think like a lot of people on that list I would have placed a lot higher than Einstein personally. But I also don't understand Einstein's exact importance all that well. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Tom. Yeah. May I, may I do a segment now? And my part of this. Um, okay. When we were in college, this would have been January 2019. So okay. our junior year. Uh, I was hanging out with some friends, not some mutual friends of ours. Uh, they, I mean, yes, they were mutual friends. I'm sorry. They were mutual friends of ours. And we put on a movie, um, a, a little known British family film that I would love to tell you about. Have any of you heard about Thunderpants? No. Michael, can I get a read on Thunderpants? You know about Thunderpants? Um, it sounds like something I should know about, but I don't. Thunderpants is an extremely underseen uh, British comedy from the early 2000s. Um, let me take a quick Google search, make sure I have my information right. 2002. It stars Rupert Grint... Fresh off of Harry Potter's success, Paul Giamatti, Ned Beatty, and Stephen Fry. It is about a boy played by a child actor by the name of Bruce Cook, who I don't know if he had a career after Thunderpants. Uh, I would be surprised if he did. Um, Who was born with two stomachs and thus has extremely, extremely powerful farts that he cannot control. And his best friend, played by Rupert Grint, who is like a a a nerd and like uh, has um, his best friend who cannot smell, has no sense of smell. And thus the only person who could be his best friend, played by Rupert Grint, is like a a like a tech whiz and 
essentially without like getting too deep into the story uh theorizes that they can use this character's the main character whose name is patrick they can use patrick's farts to power a rocket to send him into space himself the farts power the rocket and it sends the kid into space uh just just as the american government needs an emergency rocket because they're having an emergency uh, with their astronauts being trapped in space. Do you think I'm telling the truth right now? Yeah. No, okay. I I know I've heard of this now that you're describing it. That's it is, really it disappointing. extremely real. I was doing a thing in January 2019 in which I, I started a extremely short-lived blog about... Uh, chronicling me watching at least one movie I had never seen before per week. Um, and I got about maybe about a month into it and then I dropped because school was a thing. And so, um, you could bring that back. I could bring that back. Um, I would probably be like a Twitter thread now, but, uh, yeah, there you go. Thunderpants. This is yeah. a very short segment. I don't I, I had big goals for this segment and then realized that it really had nothing to do with it other than describing the movie. How much do you remember of the movie? Um, I remember the kid farting a whole lot because that's a big part of it. I remember um, Rupert Grint with like glasses and a bow tie talking about how. How is how you could power the farts um i remember paul giamatti playing like a nasa or like a cia agent who uh who like recruits them uh i think kieran knightley had like a one-line cameo but it was like prior to like any of her big movies so it's like it wasn't even really a cameo it was just like a bit part um this, That's of course, reminds me of uh, the viewers' request for us. Um, they wanted us to talk about Chicken Run. Yeah, I grew up with Chicken Run. Michael, I know you recently watched Chicken Run. Yeah, I watched Chicken Run like the night before I think I got COVID. <laughs> Hell yeah. A grim omen. Um... What do you fellas think of the movie Chicken Run? I like it. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, I don't know if it's anything that really stuck with me in any major way. Um, in fact, I don't know if I could tell you all that much about it besides like basic plot points, but it was a, it was a fun movie. And apparently they're making a sequel. They are indeed making a sequel. Yeah. Uh, it will be out next year. They have recast Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson will not be in the sequel he will now uh that that character rocky will now be pl played by uh zachary levi aka shazam aka chuck from chuck okay. they, now, recast, they recast actually a lot of um a lot of the the characters a couple of a couple of people have come back but uh a lot of the original cast is not now i was the last time i watched chicken run I watched it because I was told by somebody that it was a allegory for the Holocaust. Okay, that sounds familiar. And I want you both to, on the record, tell me if that is correct or incorrect. 
I think there is the aesthetic of fascism and like military prisoners to it. I think it's like they try to make it similar to a um a like POW escape movie like The Great Escape. I don't know if I don't know if it's necessarily like specifically about the Holocaust, but I think it isn't. I don't think the movie is necessarily like denying that it could be that. Yeah, I think with like a lot of the presentation or whatever, you could probably like parse some of that from it. But at the same time, like that's kind of prisons in general. And there's more of a capitalistic undertone to a lot of what's going on more than anything. And then you have like the rat characters there anyways, who are feasibly portrayed in a uh, anti-Semitic light anyways. So I kind of be hard pressed to really say, oh, yeah, I'm very convinced this is a Holocaust film. I I I I can't speak to the anti-Semitism in the rats. I don't remember them. Super well, no, not things. like not like overtly anti-Semitic, like not not in that sense. But like you have like goblins or rats in fiction, and they're usually very money obsessed and have other negative like self-interest based qualities. So not like they're overtly, but just like okay. you have those same undertones alongside like this POW uh, prison system. So sure. Um, I don't. I do know we have a mutual friend and listener to this show, uh, who I don't know how frequently he listens, but I know he does listen. Who was raised on a livestock a livestock farm, and uh, wasn't. I don't know if he wasn't allowed to listen to Chicken Run, but I know he. Um, I know his parents did. They disliked Chicken Run because it. Uh, it had like an undertone of like anim like farmers are cruel to animals and such. I, Which, I, I, I mean, some farmers are, but yes, yeah. not all, not all farmers, not all farmers. No, the same goes for like, I mean, I don't know. We were, we were all at, at adult age when Okja came out. I don't know. Did anyone, did you guys see Okja? Yeah. Bong Joon-ho's Okja? Yeah. So, like, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal's in a movie. I'm going to watch it. Oh, this is true. <laughs> this is true. He is in that movie. Oh, is he ever? I don't know if Jake Gyllenhaal's ever been in in a movie more than he is in Okja. Not necessarily in like on screen time, but just like commitment. Commit. Well, the only time he has been that committed to anything that I've seen is when he's his one like scene in uh, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. Yeah, yeah. That's the. It's the same energy. Of commitment. Yeah. And like, I think, I think Okja is trying to make a bit more of a controversial or at least like a specific statement about, um, about like the food industry than Chicken Run is. But even with Okja, I feel like it's, it's much more about like capitalism than it is about like animal cruelty. I think people might disagree with me on that, but. Speaking of capitalism. How do you like that segue? I'm not a fan. It's not my favorite. Michael, can you just explain to me so I know if it's just a meme and a thing or not? Basically, I'm trying to parse out, is this just a... What is the difference between capitalism and late-stage capitalism? That's my question. This is why you're on the show. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I assume... Uh... 
I'm honestly not very familiar with uh, late stage capitalism as a concept or like what that all entails. So be prepared as I very fastly and loosely uh, play with my very recent understandings of things. And we'll see if we end up somewhere pretty close to reality. So um, I'm going to assume it's a very Marxist uh, driven principle. And so what I recently learned about Marx, which I really should have known uh, earlier, but here we are. So the deal with Marx is that he pretty much was the uh, the prophet of the end of capitalism. He said in the system, there's nothing that generates profits other than the fact that workers are underpaid for their labor. And so his argument was that the workforce being savvy wouldn't propagate itself to a point where like they could compete for wages to a point where labor was as cheap as it could possibly be. Mm-hmm. So in order to make as much profit as they could, uh, firms would have to find a way to unemploy as many people as they could. So the only way to make profits would be to employ the use of machinery to eliminate uh, labor jobs and drive down wages. But every time they instituted uh, machinery to lower the number of employed people, that meant they had fewer people on the payroll, which meant they were also dipping into profits and restricting how much they could possibly earn. So the idea of the system is eventually it gets to a point where there's so little profit being made, and then eventually it gets to a point where production can't continue anymore because the capitalists aren't making any more money and then the system collapses and then that's when the proletariat are supposed to rise up and then something happens presumably the seizure of the means of production so i guess my understanding of it would be we're just reaching like a terminal point uh per the view of the late stage capitalists and either that results in like uh maybe like worker unions overtaking uh the system of production and consumption or maybe that means that we finally pivot off of like a capitalist a capitalistic system into more of a um uh, i forget the technical term for it but it's basically like a um directive economy kind of like a degree of socialism that you might see in the scandinavian states or or yeah states or where you might see in like the ancient egyptian world where people are commanded to build pyramids and they do it because that's just society's directives so okay so late stage capitalism is basically the assumption is that capitalism by nature will reach a critical mass and fall apart i feel like what late stage capitalism really is is people pointing at said symptoms of critical mass and saying late stage capitalism Right. I feel yeah, like it's probably more a reactionary thing rather than a prophetic thing. Yeah, it is. It is more a reaction to things than it is an actual concept. Gotcha. Uh, there, Michael. There are a couple more people that I want to study on the subject before I profess anything too much. I, sure. I'm looking to read a little bit of Schumpeter about it or Schumpeter, and he kind of talks about how he doesn't think capitalism is going to last all that much longer necessarily, but he doesn't think that just means Marx is right. So we'll have to see. Right. Right. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say that. I mean, I think Marx has things about what he says that are right. Um, but I don't know if I would just full on be like. Yeah, no, his principles sound pretty good. And uh, a person making a top 15 people of all time might have even included Marx on their list instead of, I don't know, 
Michael Jordan, but you know. Yeah, sure. I think Mark should maybe be on my list. Um, Michael, is there a difference between a Marxist and a communist? Um, I think you'd say they're probably roughly to a degree of the same cloth, so to speak. Like, there's probably a lot of overlap in their Venn diagrams, but one thing that you are supposed to learn about Marx, I suppose, and one thing that I have yet to learn myself personally from experience, is that Marx basically has very little of his philosophy, like, fully fleshed out. Like, he doesn't define what happens when the proletariat rises up. Um, it's not very well codified. Basically, the people who have taken on Marxism have done more for Marxism than Marx himself probably has done. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I think mean, like a Lenin, a Leninist communist is far different from a Marxist. Yeah, it it really seems like it was. And I could, could be completely wrong and people will. If this episode sees the light of day and if it gets gets a hold of specific, more knowledgeable people than me, they will tear us apart. But yeah. uh, it really seemed like Marx was just writing about like the things he saw and wasn't necessarily like writing as to like implications for the future like it's it was it was it was much more like a uh like an observation and like theory than it was like this is the way things will end up being sure zach yes if you were able to pass without any like there's no red tape in this universe what executive order would you do for the united states of america I would establish a national holiday, two national holidays, one celebrating my good boy, Leon, my little kid cat, and how good a boy he is. And then the second one would be to uh, make voting a federal holiday and like make people do it. Not not make people do it, but like make it easier for people. Right. Okay. Michael? I think probably socialization of medicine would probably be like the easiest, um, least ramifications pass. I mean, it's pretty much been observed in every other major wealthy country in the world without, I mean, obviously not to say it's a system where, oh, now that you've uh, socialized medicine, you have absolutely no problems in your system, of course. But like, you don't have problems where like, oh boy, I can't pay for my like child to have lenses or treat diabetes or something very basic like that and now they're just never going to be a good student or oh i can't afford insulin so i guess i'm going to die like that should probably never happen in any country where it can be prevented as easily as it could be in america like if you want to say oh we should tax like billionaires for like 90 percent of their wealth like i could say okay well maybe some ramifications could come from that but i don't see any real ramifications coming from socialized medicine you you would kill our our necessary and thriving health insurance industry. Oh man, I know. I mean, there are a lot of people employed in it, but I don't think a a very bureaucratically driven uh, government health system would not have need of their services. They just might not be making buco money. <laughs> mm -hmm. Tom. Yeah. Tom. Yeah. If you. And this is, I feel like, a very easy question for you. Okay. If you had to give a speech, just like right now, I told you, hey, give a speech on whatever topic you pick, but you get no prep. What would you? What would? You, what would you be able to talk on? 
Who am I giving the speech to? A group, Is it... a group of anyone that would listen. They have pulled people off the street into like a, a lecture hall and said, sit here, listen to this guy, give a speech. And that's you. You are the man. You are the you are the guy speeching. I think I would give a speech. How how long do I have? I said very little prep. I'll give you ten minutes. No, no, no. I'm saying I'm saying how long is my speech? Under twenty minutes. I'd say try to hit somewhere between ten and twenty. I think I would give a speech on. Let's let's not say speech. It's let's say presentation or lecture. Speech I feel like has. A connotation to it that I didn't necessarily intend. I think I would give a lecture still. I mean, I think I would give a lecture on uh, on either how to be present or the concept of joy or finding your joy. I don't know. I think I think too many people are uh, trying to make sandcastles underwater. Sure. And they need to just learn to let the water be muddy. And let let it be um i don't know what would you give a speech on or lecture probably like uh i nothing really important i don't feel like i would have like the uh i don't feel like i would have like the just personally possess the uh what am i trying to say my I would be too self-conscious to like speak on anything important as if I were an expert, probably about like the Coen brothers. If anything, like the Coen brothers and like how uh, they're they're, um A lot of their movies reflect a sense of uh, of like absurdism, but also a sense of like a weird, like almost like Old Testament, like divine justice too. To like they're simultaneously like meaningless, but also like have this deep like sense of of like karma or um or like like cause and effect and the consequences for the character's actions. Michael, do you have an answer? What I would give a speech on in twenty minutes? Yeah. No, I I definitely don't because uh thinking back to when I did a speech class in college, I uh well college. I had I took a speech class as part of a uh, community college thing like PSEO when I was in high school. And mm-hmm. my most self-conscious thing about the speech class was I could never think about any topic that would be give, interesting to the 20-some people that were in that class. So it was a struggle to ever come up with topics and write them out because I just didn't feel motivated to find something that 20 people might resonate with, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It would just be hard for me to do a speech on something unless I knew people were there explicitly to hear it. Hmm. Tom, do you want to maybe give us a bomb? Yeah, I do. Where did the bomb? What is our bomb sourcing again? Bomb is when uh, when Tom pitches me a movie and I have to tell him if it would be commercially and financially successful. I mean, critically and commercially successful. If you can come up with an idea better than Thunderpants, I won't be surprised. That I that I will char- charge you with. Can you be better <laughs> than Thunderpants? All right, so private cloning um, of celebrities becomes a thing. Mm. And some terrible people uh, clone the world's most famous celebrities and hunt them in the jungle. Do these famous celebrities have like the implanted memories of their hosts? 
yes and thus believe that they actually are them what if what if like the main character who is like a famous actor uh believes he is be like he believes he is that person and then he realizes that the person hunting him is him yeah bro that could be good actually i'm sold already tom i think i think this has if not like promising black mirror episode vibes this could be something this this time will either span um bad like red box bruce willis action movie I feel like the center is Black Mirror episode and like the other end of the spectrum is like pretty good, like sci-fi sci-fi satire, excuse me. I almost said sci-fi sapphire and that's not what I meant. I think the only pitfall I can think of is that you'd have to like get rid of that. You'd have to basically show your hand with the premise by the end of the first act or sometime early-ish in the middle of the second act. Or, like, you'll just be in awful ending territory where it's like, oh, but it was all a dream because they weren't actually there. It's like Tom Cruise privately clones Nicolas Cage, Tom Cruise, and Chris Pratt. And he actively hunts those three, but the three clones think they're the original. So, like, Tom Cruise is hunting himself. Who wouldn't watch that? I would watch that. I'm on board. Yeah, I think one aspect of that, if you could somehow ground it in any form of reality, is if it was like Tom Cruise trying to become the perfect Tom Cruise, like through like figuring out his weaknesses. That'd be kind of interesting from like a Darwinistic perspective, maybe. I like the idea of Tom Cruise killing his true self and then. uh, uh, Like slotting himself into like the the clone self slots himself into Tom Cruise's life at the end of the movie. No, 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 no. He has, he has deserved the good, the good life that evil Tom Cruise had because he has survived and, and killed his oppressive host. No, no. It's like inception. You, the viewer has no idea if it's clone or original Tom Cruise that ends up alive. Oh, it's like it's like annihilation where you can't where if it's is it real Natalie Portman or is it like alien facsimile Natalie Portman who came back? Right. It's like that. That's an, that's interesting. Michael, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for lending your informed amateurish insights, your amateurish, your hobbyist economic insights to which I did get a degree in, undergraduate. <laughs> yeah, Sem- semi semi learned insights to this episode, and we will we'll see you next time. Yeah, see you next time. Have a good night, boys. Bye.